This is Dan Fleisch, and this is the seventh podcast for Chapter 1 of A Student's Guide to Maxwell's Equations. This one concerns the flux of a vector field. Gauss's law is all about the flux of a vector field, specifically the flux of the electric field over a closed surface. In order to understand that, the first important thing for you to understand is what a vector field is. Any field is just a distribution of values over a region of space. For example, the temperature of each point in the room you're sitting in is an example of a field. But that's a scalar field. Since temperature only has a magnitude, that is, there's a temperature value at each point in space, there is no direction to that field. There is simply a value at every point. So instead of the temperature at each location, imagine a field that consists of the speed and direction of the airflow at each point in that same room. That's an example of a vector field, because the airflow is a vector quantity. It has both magnitude and direction. So a vector field is no more than a distribution of vector values over some region of space. That particular analogy of fluid flow, I think, is extremely helpful in understanding the meaning of the flux of a vector field. Because you can think of flux over a surface as the amount of that field that flows through that surface, as illustrated on the bottom of page 10 in figure 1.6. By the way, you'll notice when I refer to this in the text, I put the word flows in quotes, because in the case of many vector fields, nothing is actually flowing. But the analogy is very useful in understanding the concept of flux. If you look at the A part of the figure 1.6, you'll see the simplest case in which the direction of the vector field A is perpendicular to a flat surface. That's supposed to represent a flat surface with normal n hat, the subject of a previous module. And you'll notice that A is parallel to n hat. That is, the vector field is perpendicular to the surface. In that case, the flux of that field over that surface is simply defined as magnitude of the field times the area of the surface. That's what it says in equation 1.5 in the middle of page 10. Notice also in the B part of the figure that if the surface happens to be tilted at some angle, then A, the vector field, is no longer perpendicular to the surface, that is, it's no longer parallel to n hat, and in that case, the flux is determined by finding the component of A perpendicular to the surface and then multiplying that component by the surface area. This is given in equation 1.6, which says phi, the flux, is equal to A dot n, that's the component of A perpendicular to the surface, times the surface area. Now in both those cases, 1.5 and 1.6, we've assumed that the vector field is uniform over the surface. That is, the value of A is the same at the top of the surface and in the middle and at the bottom. And if that's not true, then we can't use either of these two equations because we wouldn't know which value of A to use if it was different on different parts of the surface. One such case is shown in figure 1.7 on the top of page 11. If you consider the A part of this figure for starters, there you see a vector field A, and notice the arrows are different lengths. That's meant to represent a vector field that is different at different regions in space. And now, notice we no longer have a flat surface, we have a curvy S-shaped surface, and the thing we want to consider is what is the flux of that vector field through that surface? Well, we said flux is analogous to rate of flow. So what is the rate of flow through this surface? To define that, we need to understand what A really means. And it's easiest to do this if you think of A not just as the velocity, how many meters per second the material is flowing, but as the product of the velocity with the number density of particles. That is, how many particles exist in this material per cubic meter. If you multiply those together, you're multiplying meters per second times particles per cubic meter, and you end up with a quantity that is particles 
per square meter per second. And that gives you an indication of how many particles pass through a surface that's perpendicular to the flow direction in unit time. That's very useful for determining the flux. You might think you could just multiply that number times the area of the surface and you'd have your answer. And that would work if this were a flat surface and if it were perpendicular to the flow. But since it's a curvy surface and since the rate of flow is not uniform across that surface, the best way to go about it is to divide the surface up into little sections as shown in the B part of figure 1.7 on the top of page 11. Notice there in the insert that one small section of the surface is shown and the flow rate A is shown as the arrow to the right. The unit normal in that case is pointing up and to the right and there's an angle theta between them. So you could determine the flow through that section by taking A dot N hat because that gives you the component of A perpendicular to the surface, and if you then multiply it by the amount of surface in that section, you would have the number of particles flowing through that section per second. If you do that for all the little sections and add the results together, you'll get the total number of particles passing through this surface per second. And of course, the more segments you make, the better your assumption that the flow rate is constant over that small section, and the closer your approximation will be to the actual flow through the entire surface. The mathematics of this are shown on page 12. About halfway down the page, you'll see it says flow through entire surface is the sum of a sub i dot n hat sub i, that's finding the component of the flow normal to each surface segment, multiplying that by the area of each segment and adding them up, we get the flow through the entire surface. You probably know what's coming next. Instead of doing a discrete summation, we allow the segment size to shrink to zero, and this becomes an integral. So equation 1.7 on page 12 shows you that the flow through the entire surface is the integral of a dot n hat dA. If, in fact, this surface is closed, we put a small circle around the integral sign. And once you have equation 1.8, the integral over a closed surface of a vector field dot n hat dA, you have an expression that looks very similar to the left side of Gauss's law for electric fields. And that's the subject of the next module.